You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, if you're glad to be saved tonight, say amen. Good to be in the house of God, and I appreciate so much being invited for a missions revival, and I appreciate more than you know, your pastor and the good hand of God upon his life, and I thank God for Brother Coburnett. I've known him now for a number of years. I think somewhere uh, around 2002, uh, we began to be acquainted one with another, and I've watched his life and ministry and family, and the last time I was here, the Lord had just given them a little girl uh, that week, and uh, now they even have another boy who's followed suit there, and uh, he's a big one, amen to that? I mean, that boy's a keeper, amen? I mean, I don't know, I don't know how big, big he is. I thought he was two years old. And uh, Miss Joanna said he was about 10 months. I said, no, you got to be kidding me. I don't know what you're feeding that boy, but he is a, he's a whopper, amen? But uh, I'm you're glad to be saved. And it is a great thing, again, just to be here at Victory Baptist Church. I appreciate getting uh, to be here. And I'm so thankful my wife, Susan, could make the trip with me. And uh, honey, wave at us. And we're, uh, we are now officially empty nesters. We have uh, all of our kids are out. Our youngest daughter, Bethany, is in college, a special needs school for her. And the Lord is working there in a great way. And I've had people say, well, brother, we're going to be praying for you. It must be terrible. It's really not. <laughs> this has been great. And uh, we, uh, we drove over here tonight from the hotel, and uh, Susan said, boy, this has been a long time since you and I just able to drive to a meeting. She said, remember the days where we'd be on the way, just young kids and uh, fired up? And she, we would add index cards, and all of my scriptures, I'd write them all out, and she'd read the cards to me. We'd memorize the scripture and on the way to the meetings, and uh, it was just uh, God's been good to us, and I'm thankful we just celebrated recently 39 years of ministry we got and marriage excuse me and ministry and uh, it was our, our wedding anniversary and we got married when we were three and uh, God's been really good but uh, we're thankful for the goodness of the Lord I need to get right into the message tonight because uh, I want to redeem the time I want us to get out of the decent hour so we can get back tomorrow night forget all that I'm preaching three hours so I uh, want to get back so we can get here tomorrow night and uh, be here for the whole meeting. And uh, Brother Brubaker, thank you so much for your burden, your desire to go to uh, the Washington area, Seattle. We've heard a lot about Seattle and Portland lately, but uh, what we need to hear about is people getting saved in that part of the world and God changing lives. You'll be, uh, we'll be praying for you and uh, be in touch, maybe about us helping you as well. We have a great burden for that part of the world. Turn in your Bibles tonight, please, the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 22. Ezekiel, chapter number 22. And I'd like to read from a very familiar portion of Scripture that I've preached from many times in my life, but uh, I'll probably go a different direction with this than normal. I want to preach from Ezekiel chapter 22, and for time's sake, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 29. My wife and I just came from a wonderful 
revival in our church. We had a tent revival and put up an old-fashioned gospel tent on the ball field. And uh, man, uh, last Monday night, our tent was packed out. It was an awesome meeting and uh, just uh, just a great, great time uh, rejoicing together as God doing great things. Uh, honestly, I'm a little bit burned out, and uh, I will I will get more energy tomorrow night. I promise you. Uh, I have a cold, and if you hear me cough, I've already been tested. It's negative. So uh, I coughed at a restaurant. People ran for cover. Amen. They dove. Uh, we were eating, and I got something caught in my throat, and I started to choke. <laughs> I started coughing, and I walked by a man's booth. I was going to the restroom, to, and, and a little piece of chicken came right out. And that man, ah, oh, he, I thought he was going to die on the spot. I said, I don't have COVID. I promise you, I'm just dying with chicken. But uh, God is good, and uh, almost died right on the spot. But the Lord knows all about that. That. Ezekiel 22, please. Verse 29, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. If you love the Bible, say amen. amen. Verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I sought for a man among them. I want to speak tonight from verse number 30, and I like to preach on the subject of standing in the gap, Amen. standing in the gap. Our brother just shared with us his burden to go up to the northwest part of the United States, a desolate place. I've been there. I've stayed in Seattle. I have sensed the oppression that's on that community, a lack of God, a void of Christ. And yet he and his family are going to go there, and they're going to make up the hedge Amen. and stand in the gap between the people of his little town, would you say the name again? Enumclaw and the, what Indians? All right, the Indians. <laughs> and he's going to stand in the gap. He's going to make up the hedge. And by the grace of God, they're going to build a church, a lighthouse, that's standing between heaven and hell, between God and Satan, between people that are locked in darkness and fear and oppression, that He might give them the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And God said, I sought for a big movement. Is that what He said? No. I sought for a multitude. I sought for a big group. He said, I sought for a man. And that man would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. I want to speak on standing in the gap. Father, we pray tonight for the Spirit of God to work in our midst. We pray that you'll have your way. Thank you for the great singing by the Miller family. Thank you for your hand on the Brubakers. Great singing in the time we've already had together in your house. I pray you'll help me to be profitable I pray you'll help me to be a blessing, and Lord, may the Holy Spirit have His way 
I pray that when this conference is over, we'll have a greater desire and a burden for missions than we've ever had before. May we do more than we've ever done. And Father, that one here tonight that's been wrestling, been praying, been considering the calling of God, I pray that one here might say by your grace and mercy that they'll make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Thank you for what you will do. We give you the praise together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said together. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Our text tonight is a great chapter of the Bible. It's a great account and event that occurs in the life of a man whose name was Ezekiel. If you study your Bible, you know that Ezekiel was a dual prophet of God, meaning that a prophet, he prophesied both to the northern and to the southern kingdoms of the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. They were on the end of their nation. They were at the end of their existence. God had allowed the Babylonians to come and burn the city of Jerusalem with fire because of their sin and their ungodliness and their turning away from God. The Lord eventually allowed them to be carried off to the ancient land of Babylon. The man, Ezekiel, was a man that God used to prophesy somewhere between the first and the final deportation of the people of God. They were taken off in ox carts. Some walked by foot. That's several hundred miles from the city of Jerusalem to the ancient land of Babylon and Shinar. And eventually as they were carried off, this man Ezekiel finds himself among the captives by the river Kibar. And the Bible said, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. When he saw God in all of his glory, the Lord began to deal with him and gave him this great prophecy, the book of Ezekiel. Here in chapter 22, he begins to enumerate and spell out the reasons why God had allowed chastening and judgment to come to his people. Understand tonight, it is a miracle that God allows America to continue as we know it. I believe one of the only reasons why we're still around as a nation is the fact that we have stood in full support of the nation of Israel. Say amen right there. And because America is still the greatest missionary sending agency in the world today. In fact, if you combine all the missionary uh, giving in all the world, America uh, surpasses it all uh, by several times and then some. So God allows us to stay. He has given us a space of grace, if you will, that we still might be used of God in these last days. Understand that God made it very clear some of the reasons of why he allowed his people to be carried off to Babylon. First of all, he mentions that the prophets were for sale. The prophets of the land had quit prophesying. It became dangerous and it became very unpopular to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Instead, they began to prophesy for what was popular, for what people wanted to hear. They began to give people what they wanted in large doses. And God said, earlier on in the same chapter in verse 25, he said there is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. Like a roaring lion, ravening the prey, they have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things, they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Verse 28, her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, divining lies into them, saying thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hath not 
not spoken. I can tell you that old-fashioned preaching, Bible preaching, is becoming a rare commodity in the days in which we live. We now have churches that are springing up, I'm sure, uh, around here as well, and they are siphoning people out of churches like this, Bible-believing churches. They're finding all the, quote, uh, hurt, uh, hurt people of churches like this and people that are tired of old-time religion and giving them an easy believism and making them feel good and they go to a church uh, on Sunday morning supposedly come as you are, leave like you came, dress in the old way and they come in and have music that is abominable and things that are abominable and strange versions of the Bible instead of standing on the Bible and preaching the word of God. America needs men of God to stand up and say thus saith the Lord. Instead of preaching for a little payday on Sunday, they ought to stand up and say by the grace of God this is the way, walk ye in it. I got saved in 1976 and God changed my life over the next two years. I was involved in terrible things that I'll not discuss tonight and God changed my heart from the inside out. A dear gentleman gave me a bag uh, with tapes in it. He said, listen to these. And I got in the car the next morning. I put on a tape. It was payday someday by R.G. Lee. The next day I listened to God three, three deadlines by uh, Dr. J. Harold Smith. Then I listened to the judgment by Dr. B.R. Lake. And listen, friends, you can't find that kind of preaching anywhere today to save your life. I got saved because a man that I work with, my car broke down in answer to my mother's prayers. A brand new vehicle broke down for a month and you couldn't, they couldn't fix it. They couldn't find the problem. And I ended up having to ride to work every day with a man who'd just gotten saved. He picked me up in his 1970 little green Nova. Uh, he beeped the horn. I'd get in the car at 7 o'clock. He'd turn on the radio loud and there I'd have to listen to the gospel hour with Dr. Oliver E. Green. And that old boy would preach and brother I mean, with that uh, rough voice of his, and uh, he'd preach, he always, it seemed like Oliver Green always preached on hell. He always preached on the judgment. He, I could hear him now, uh, driving on my way to work. I could hear him tonight. He'll say, you'll burn forever if you don't get saved. And he'd end up every day pulling in the gate, Father, save that soul that's near as hell today. He prayed it every day, and I got under an old-fashioned case of conviction, an old-fashioned case the Holy Ghost can't help it and I got saved by the grace of God because somebody preached amen I'm so glad he didn't turn on the radio and say, you can have your best life now, amen. I'm glad he didn't uh, have a few moments or a few, a little cup of coffee with some new stereotype preacher, a man of God who preached the Bible. That's why I got saved. The prophets were for sale. The priests, they were for sin. These priests had given themselves over in verse number 26. And he said, her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things, they have put, next two words, they have put what? No difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed what? Difference between the unclean 
and the clean. The priests began to condone the things that God condemns. The priests began to stand for the things that God had laid aside. And instead of saying, this is the way, this is right, this is wrong, they began to give people what they wanted rather than what they need. I'm telling you tonight, if you come to church to get a little dose of giggles and feel good, you're in the wrong place tonight. We ought to come to the house of God and say, Lord, I'm a needy sinner. I need God's help. I've been out in the world all week and I need to get washed real good and cleaned up again. I need a man of God to make me feel bad so that I can get right and get stirred up and get under old-fashioned conviction. Amen. But the priests, they just said, whatever you want. Now, I understand this and I understand this fully. Salvation ought to make a difference in your life. Do I have an amen? Salvation, when you get saved by the grace of God and Christ comes in, it might not happen all at once. Some of us grew a little slower than others. Some of us moved a little bit ahead and came back and moved a little forward and fell back again. And some of us got saved and we carried old habits over into Canaan land with us and we weren't all the way like we ought to be. And we got saved and we quit drinking and all that and got our hair cut, whatever it was. And then, uh, man, we quit smoking and quit smoking and then quit smoking again and then quit smoking again. And I mean, we just try everything we could but it took a while for some of us to have an amen to that. You say, well, pastor, do you think that uh, smoking will cause me to go to hell? No, it'll just make, make you smell like you've been there. And uh, we don't have, understand the fact that uh, but all these things that we work on, of course, God chips away at us and God changes us and transforms us from glory into glory. And some of us, it takes a little bit longer than others, but there ought to be a difference because of the new life that we have in Christ. The priests were for sin. The princes were for themselves. Verse number 27, for princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, and to get dishonest gain. They're politicians. I need an amen right there. Boy, are we in trouble. Say amen to that. Their politicians were all about themselves. They were all about me, my, and I, and what I can get out of it. A politician is supposed to be a public servant. Amen to that? He's supposed to be someone who gives himself to his or her community. I want to say tonight publicly that I thank God for those men and women who call themselves policemen and policewomen. I thank God for our public defenders. Do I have an amen to that? And I don't think we ought to defund the police. We ought to refund the police. Amen? We ought to do more for them than we've ever done before. But we're living in a generation of people who have called called evil uh, good and good evil and turned right and wrong upside down. And that is exactly what happened to the princes of their day. And as a result of that, the prophets were for sale, the priests for sin, the princes for themselves, and the people were forsaken. There was a vacuum. There was a vacuum, a moral vacuum of the clarion call of godly leadership. A clarion call of a man or a woman to put a trumpet to their mouth and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. 
and show people their transgression and show people the cross of Christ and show them the way to salvation where they can be born again, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us and teach men and women how to be born again, not of corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so he said here, these people, verse number 29, our text, the people of the land have used oppression, exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Perhaps we falsely believe that America is the only nation that has ever given themselves over to the heinous sin and crime of abortion. Do you understand that abortion is linked without, is, is indelibly linked to idolatry and all that goes with it. They would worship the God of Molech and the Asherah outside of the city of Jerusalem. They would go down to the mount in the valley of Hinnom, which was the mount, valley of burning, and they would take children there and literally burn them to these pagan icons and to these pagan false gods. Our wife was carrying our last child, and the doctor that she went to said, well, Mrs. Rossi, this child is going to have complication. It could be a real problem for you. There is an alternative. If you would like to exercise that, my wife said, I'm sorry. Thank you. I will never be back here again. Uh, taking our child's life is not an alternative. Somebody say amen. You understand this is a generation of people that has decided that the unborn no longer even have a right to live. The very first constitutional right we have is the right to uh, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that is in the very fabric of American life tonight. They would take these little babies and murder them outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it was called the Valley of Hinnom, and it was called the Valley of Topheth. The Valley of Topheth meant, it was the, the words for a drumbeat. And when these babies would scream in the fire, they would literally begin to play drums that men and women could not hear the screams of the unborn. I wonder what distractions we have come up with in our society to realize how far we have gone and gotten away from God. I wonder how many drum beats we're listening to tonight, whether it's the drum of materialism or humanism or pleasure or hedonism. I wonder what drum beat is keeping us from hearing the fact that souls are perishing and on their way to a far worse fire in the valley of Anom, a lake of fire where men and women will seek death and never find it. How many of you believe in that place where the Bible said that whosoever was not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire? Those men and women, if this man of God doesn't get there and preach to them, they will die without Christ. They will die without the Lord. That dear Indian tribe, without a witness to, to seek God for them on their behalf and pray for them, God is looking for a man. God looks out in this multitude, this mess, this generation who'd gone astray. And God gives us the answer for every generation, for every country, for every kindred, tribe, and nation under heaven. He said, I sought for a man. I'm glad that he specified. He said, I sought for a man, not above them, a man where? Help me out. Among them. A man that is among the people of God. No big shots, 
Nobody has to show up out of a spiritual phone booth with a big rat ass on his chest and to say, I am super Christian, amen. Not a superman, but a surrendered man. Not a perfect man, but a pliable man. Not a big man, but a broken man. Someone who can come before God and say, God, you can use me. You understand God has used stutterers and stammerers. He's not looking for a personality. He's not looking for somebody who's a comedian for Christ or who can juggle for Jesus or whatever, some magician for the master. What we need is a man of God who shows up and says, I believe that the Bible is the word of God and that God's word is true and that people can still be saved. How many believe God can save anybody, anywhere, at any time? You say, I don't believe that. Look around you. (laughs) Amen? Such were some of you. Say amen. I know where I came from. I know the hole that God had to take me out of, Pastor. He had to get a long scoop shovel to pull me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and set and establish my goings and put a new song in my heart. When he looked down, he said, I don't know about him. He's way down in the mud, but by the grace of God, he brought me up and set me up and thank God he even tuned me up. Amen. Amen. God changed my life. And if he can do that for me, he can certainly do that for you. And he can do that for anybody. And all he's looking for is a man, a man with enough faith and enough trust and enough surrender and zeal to say, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what it takes. And he said that I sought for a man among them to make up the hedge. I won't preach on that. But the hedge was a wall that was set up around a vineyard. A man with a vineyard would always build a hedge first Then he would grow his vineyard according to Proverbs 24 and he would literally raise his vineyard. If you had a flock of sheep, you had to put a hedge of thorns around it to keep all the wolves out. You can't grow sheep with wolves in the pen. Say amen to that. It can't be done. They'll eat them all. But I'm saying that he had to have this protection to keep the sheep in or to keep the wolves out and to keep the little lambs in. So there must be a wall around life. He said, I'm looking for a man who will make up the hedge and then a man who will stand in the gap. The idea there is that there's a breach in this wall. There's something that's broken. And this man, like the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, will lay down in that breach and say, by God's grace, I will make up the hedge and I will stand in the gap. You know the wonderful teaching of the book of John where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd layeth his life, layeth down his life for the sheep. You understand they would bring these sheep into a, uh, down into a ravine and at night they would herd the men and the good shepherd would begin to lay thorns across the way and he would lay out thorns so the sheep couldn't get out and the wolves couldn't get in and he'd leave a small area right there in the sheep coat And the shepherd would lay down right there. No wolf could get through unless he got through the shepherd. No sheep could get out unless he got out through the shepherd. And the shepherd would call each sheep in, and he knew them by name. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. And understand the fact that God is looking for a man. I sought for a man that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. Now I know what 
a little bit about football. I know what gap integrity is. And if you have a football team and you're trying to defend your, uh, your goal and you are up against the other team, the opponents, you have to make sure that every gap is covered so that no running back can break through and run down to the other end and score. So you got your A gaps and B gaps and right across the, the line and those linebackers are lined up and they're calling their signals and they're calling to the defenders behind them and they're calling to the front line. They might need to shift to cover this gap or that, but the issue is they're going to make up the hedge. They're going to stand in the gap. I wonder tonight who it is that's going to stand in the gap for this generation in which we live. This is a person, just a few things, and I'll be done. This man who's going to stand in the gap, this woman who's going to stand in the gap, number one, is a person who sought God Amen. and seeks God with all their heart. My wife and I met in a little Bible college, and it doesn't even exist anymore. I think it only existed ever for, her, for me to get to meet her. Amen? But, I mean, and uh, that was good enough for me. But... Jeremiah 29, 13, we had to memorize Bible verses, and uh, one of the verses that God uh, really spoke to me about was Jeremiah 29, 13, where God said, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. You understand it's time for us to seek the Lord until he come to rain righteousness upon us. It is time for this generation to call upon God. Now this is a missions revival and I like missions revivals because no missions really happens without revival and no revival is complete until we see some missions. Do we see people getting saved? Say amen. Every great missionary movement in the history of the church was born out of an old-fashioned revival where God did something great and God moved on hearts and men and women said, yes, I will go and I'm going to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. My mom prayed for me for years. She got saved when I was in high school. I had long hair way over my shoulders and uh, playing drums and rock and roll bands and all that good stuff and knew it every bad thing that goes along with it. And I would come in and we'd have band practice in the basement. My buddies would come over and I remember one day I walked in and my mom was sitting there with a strange look on her face. She had a big Bible at the kitchen table and she looked up and I said, are you all right? She said, I, I've never been better. I said, what's wrong? What'd you do? She said, today... I got born again. I thought, what in the world is that? I said, what's that? She said, I asked Jesus into my heart. I said, okay, thank you, Mom. And I took off. I mean, brother, I didn't want any parts of that. There was a woman in our neighborhood that was going out knocking doors, and she came and knocked on my mother's door and asked her, Mrs. Rossi, has anybody showed you from the Bible how you can know you're going to heaven when you die? No. Do you know you're going to heaven for sure? She said, no, not really. Wouldn't you like to know? She said, oh, yes, we were devout Roman Catholic people involved in all the Catholic. I went to Catholic school and all that good stuff. And brother, I mean, that this woman showed her from the Bible after several weeks of study. And my mom got saved. Amen. She started praying for me. Amen. Then our school had a revival. Several of the guys in our high school got saved by the grace of God. They were my buddies. We'd meet behind the school and do bad things and all that on the way in and come in there all stoned up and everything to school every day. And those two guys came up and said, hey, Rossi, guess what happened? I said, man, what happened to you? One of them had the longest hair in Parkville Senior High, long blonde hair way down his back. 
Charlie and the other buddy uh, Stifler, uh, he the same way. Their hair, they looked like somebody, they got into a buzzsaw. What happened to your hair? They said, man, we went to a revival and got saved. And they said they were baptizing people. And when they're baptizing them, they're cutting their hair off. Brother, they had a barber shop in the baptistry, amen. <laughs> they said, they're getting haircuts, man. They, they were yelling like Comanches, amen, scalping them, <laughs> stirred up. And I mean, they had revival. And they came in and had a contest of who could carry the biggest Bible to Parkville Senior High. Man, they'd come in with old big old, uh, you know, family edition Bibles. Hey, brother. I said, man, what's that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. They didn't know anything about being, you know, uh, user friendly. They were in your face. And I came home one day to my horror, and they found out my mother got saved. And I walked in, and there they were at the kitchen table, these two fanatics. And they were praying for me. And my mom didn't quit. She kept praying and praying. I finally got out of high school, praying, ended up in being incarcerated, praying while I was in jail, praying for me while in trouble with the law, praying and praying. I remember one night I walked by her bedroom and she was next to her bed. And when I walked by, there she was on her knees. And I saw her and I heard her. She didn't even know I was standing there. I said, oh God, don't let him die. Don't let him go to hell. Don't let him die without Christ. She had sent off to Oliver Green. She knew about Oliver Green too. I never met Oliver Green. I, I mean, I didn't like him. And she sent off for one of those track offers with 500 tracks. And she put about half of those in my pants pockets, my shirts, my jacket. I'd reach it. Oh, man, the ones written by Mrs. Oliver Green. What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I saw hundreds of them. And I was under conviction so bad, and I'll never forget it. I saw her praying for me. It wasn't long after that, just a, a week or two later, I finally gave in and said, God, I can't run anymore. I got saved by the grace of God. You know why? Somebody was seeking God. She was making up the head. She was standing in the gap. Brother... Brubaker, Brother Brubaker, do you want people to pray for you? How much do you need prayer? I know you need support. You need that too. But how much do you need prayer? How much do you need prayer for your family, for your wife, for your precious children, for the hand of God upon your life? You say, I can't go, but you can make up the hedge in prayer. You can seek God on the behalf of others to have an amen. These are men, those who sought God. Number two, these are people who've seen God. This is a man who has seen God. He said, I saw the heavens open and I saw visions of God. In chapter 1 and verse number 1, this is a man who has seen God as he truly is. Do you understand the greatest sin of our society is the fact that we have uh, humanized God, we have deified man, and therefore we have minimized sin. When's the last time you met somebody who's under conviction of old-fashioned sin. Do I have an amen? And seeing God as He truly is. Now, there was a man I worked with. His name was Terry. And I tried to get Terry saved. Terry drank at least two six-packs of beer every day of his life after work. Many nights he'd drink a whole case of beer and get drunk way into the night. 
He lived down at our shop. They had a trailer pulled in because he couldn't drive to York, Pennsylvania because he had such an alcohol problem. We were afraid he would die on the way. And I got saved, and God changed my life. And I said, Terry, you're not going to believe what happened to me. He said, oh, I don't know about all. I said, I got saved. He said, you mean you're not going drinking anymore? I said, no, I don't want that anymore. Oh, certainly you like alcohol. No, I got something uh, a whole lot better than Budweiser. I got a drink from heaven. Do I have an amen? I got a drink from the well that will never run dry. You say, well, pastor, can't you? Uh, Brother Rossi, certainly. You, you, how do you resist getting drunk? I don't have any desire for it. It's gone by the grace of God. And I said, Terry, you can be saved. He called everybody pal. That was his little name. Hey, pal. How you doing there, pal? What's going on, pal? He's up there from Pennsylvania, northeast. Hey, pal. How are you, pal? And I said... <laughs> And I called him Terry the Amishman, amen? Uh, I mean, I always made fun of him, but we had a hard, we gave him a lot of grief. And uh, when I got saved, he started teasing. He would mock. He would make fun. And in the wintertime, we're cleaning equipment, and I, we had a partition wall between the warehouse and the shop I was working in on equipment to get ready for the next spring. And I never saw him. He put a ladder up over the partition wall. He snuck up there when I wasn't looking, took a knot, big old rag all knotted up and dipped in oil and threw it and hit me right in the back of the head. Never saw it. I mean, I mean, it felt like a brick hit me in the head. I, it hit me in the head and I turned around and there he was and I looked up and I said, Jesus loves you, Terry. No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> I thought I'm going to climb up there and beat the daylights out of you, Amen. You better be saved, amen, because when I pull you down from that ladder, it's going to be a bad day. And I looked up there, and he was going, he was laughing. He was going, ha-ha, 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 I'm the devil, ha-ha. Hey, Billy Graham, come on, what are you going to do now? And I looked up at him, and God convicted my heart. And I said, well, Terry, you know, you'll never get saved. And I walked out of that room, and I went into the locker room to clean off my head. And it was like God smote me. In such a way, I, I don't know that I've ever been smitten that way before. In Ephesians 3.20, the Bible said, Wherefore, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Is God able to work up in Washington and build a church there? Amen. I say that He is. Do I have an Amen. amen. I have friends that are pastoring churches up there where they shouldn't be pastoring churches by the grace of God and planting other churches as well around Washington. Why? Because God is able. God called me to preach and I left that company. Well, they all gave me a farewell and I left the company and about a year later I went by there and Terry was in the office. He said, hey pal, how you doing there? I said, hey, how you doing? Terry said, you got a minute around the back. I want to talk to you in my office. I said, oh, brother, what's this going to be? I went around and Terry said, hey, did you know, didn't you hear? I said, what? He said, I'm one of you now. I said, what do you mean you're one of me? He said, I'm like you. You know, I, I got, what do you call it, saved? I said, yeah, that's pretty much what you call it. <laughs> he said, I'm one of you now, pal. He said, I took that Bible you left in my office started reading it and you had that prayer of salvation in the back and he said I read it and I prayed it and he said I'm, I'm one of you now I couldn't believe it you know what happened Terry got saved 
if Terry can save, if God can save Terry, he can save anybody. And so who's seen God as he is, who have seen themselves as they truly are. A man who stands in the gap sees the fact that we're just as bad as anybody else on this planet. Say amen right now. I'm going to preach on that tomorrow night because I want to be, I want us to go home early tonight. I don't want to be all night. Some of you should be saying amen right now. They've seen themselves as God sees us. My wife and kids and I were coming back from California in our travel trailer, and there was some snow on the side of the road, and there were sheep laying on the side of the road on the hill. One of my kids said, Daddy, look at those sheep. They're so dirty. Look at them. I said, those sheep are no dirtier than the ones that were laying there a couple weeks ago when we came by. He said, no, the ones we came by were beautiful. Remember, we looked at them, they're so beautiful and white. I said, no, the sheep haven't changed one bit, son. The background changed. And now that they're laying down in a blanket of beautiful, white, new fallen snow, they look dirty. They were dirty all along. Yeah. You understand the fact that we all, we're pretty good people compared to who? He said, I'm a pretty good guy compared to him. I'm pretty good compared to her. I'm pretty good compared to that girl. And you see the way she carried herself? Well, well, well. <laughs> Amen? Man, that guy, look at him. I saw him. I saw him spit out a plug on the way into the house of God. Somebody said, could you go to heaven and chew tobacco? Yes, sir, but you have to go to hell to spit. Say amen. <laughs> and, but <laughs> I need an amen right there. I know where I am. Yeah, yeah. I've passed all those tobacco fields on the way in here. You say, that were mine, brother. And I, amen. Preaching to church, old deacon came up to me in Kentucky. He said, I own about 200 acres of tobacco. I said, well, God bless you. He said, depending on how I do, that's how your love offering's going to be. I said, man, God bless the tobacco farmers. Amen. But compared to what? We're all pretty good compared to one another. But the writer Paul said, ye comparing yourselves among yourselves are not wise. Right. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Yeah. Who can know it? Do you understand that every person in this room is capable of any sin apart from God. Do I have an amen to that? And so rather than looking down our nose at the way people are, we ought to see God in all of His glory and see ourselves and say, thank you for saving me and have a burden and compassion for a lost and dying world. We've seen God as He really is, seen themselves as they truly are. And a man who stands in the gap has seen the world the way God sees the world. I'd venture to say that I've flown over your little town up in Washington. I didn't see it like you did. I just flew over and said, hurry up, get the landing gear down, coming into SeaTac, and now uh, here we go, get off the plane, got to drive up to Vancouver, drive somewhere else. You got to drive. If you're going to Washington, you're going to be doing some driving. Do I have an amen? And I've driven through some of those towns. But I didn't see them the way that Brother Brubaker saw them. Why? Because God called him to go there. Amen. God called his wife to go there. 
And I believe God needs to do something, as one writer said, uh, that God, he prayed that God would stamp eternity on his eyeballs. He starts seeing a world lost and broken. The Lord Jesus was going about the regions of Galilee. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And to see a generation of people the way God sees them and to stand in the gap for a lost and dying world. We lived in Atlanta, Georgia from 1991 till 99. And I believe it was 1995, I was out soul winning with one of the men in our church. I dropped him off and I was on my way home. And I thought I'd go by and get a crystal burger on the way home. How many of you know what a crystal burger is? It's the very bottom of the food chain of burgers. Amen. <laughs> It's below Little Tavern, it's below White Castle, it's below McDonald's, it's below Burger King. If you want to go to the very, very bottom of hamburger worlds, <laughs> it's Crystal. I assure you that they are, whoever eats them is at least in the makings of a heart attack, amen? When I was on the way home, I thought I'll just get one, just one Crystal and a Coke, and I pulled up and... I looked inside, there was a whole bunch of teenagers in there. I didn't know what they were doing. I saw them all gathered together. I said, I'm going to find out what those kids are up to and invite them to church. I pulled the car in, walked in. I said, hi there, I'd like to have one. Yeah, make it three, crystals, amen, but give me a couple. They're, they're little. And it was only for those kids' sakes. And uh, while I was waiting, I said, hey, what are you guys doing? And uh, I said, oh, man, we're... We're hanging out. I said, what are you guys, what are you doing? You coming from somewhere? They said, yes, sir. We're coming back from uh, our NA meeting. I said, what is an NA meeting? He said, it's Narcotics Anonymous. He said, we're all addicts. I said, really? You're addicts? He said, yes, sir. I said, what are you addicted to? All narcotics and stuff. I said, aren't these those meetings where you testify and talk to people and uh, give your story? Yes. I said, how about if I give you my story? They said, oh, well, I said, uh, I was an addict. What do you mean you were an addict? I was an addict. Not anymore. Amen. I said, I'm going to tell you about it. And they said, well, okay. I went over and got my burger, and they were sitting there, and it was about 20 kids, and I started telling them how God saved me. Wow. And I said, you'd never recognize me. I had long hair way over my shoulders. I was in sin in every level of life. I was addicted to narcotics just like you are. I said, and I got saved and God changed my life. I said, I live about a mile from here. I got a beautiful wife, five wonderful children. We even have a dog, amen? And I said, I, you know, here I am, dressed like a square, short hair, tie. How'd all this happen? I said, the difference between you and me is when I got saved, God made me a new creature in Christ. And I'm no longer an addict. I'm a brand new child of God. Amen. And the Lord began to work. And don't you know that we started talking and those kids started coming to our church. And on Sunday morning, we'd have several of them over there. And I'd go over there Thursday night after soul winning, meet them over there, talk to them. All the 
my staff members started saying, well, the pastor's over there at the Crystal Cathedral again, amen? So he, they called it my Crystal Cathedral or whatever. They made fun, but these kids started getting saved. And you know the difference was that just for once, instead of blowing by, getting my little burger and going about my way, for once in my life I saw people in the great need of salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this conference is going to be all about. My prayer is it'll get to our minds and get to our hearts and get to our eyes and even get down to where we really live and say, God, my priorities are changing and I want to give more for the glory of God and help to send those that God has called the Lord to be a man or a woman who will make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.